you're listening to a special podcast by the American Council of the Blind in partnership with ACB Diabetics in Action. ACB Spotlight, diabetes, where we are and where we're going. To subscribe to this and other ACB podcasts, visit acbradio.org. Learn more about the American Council of the Blind by visiting our website, www.acb.org. American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Welcome, everybody. We are here to discuss National Diabetes Awareness Month, where we are and where we're going. I'm joined by Tom Tobin, Randy Knapp, Clark Rockfell. In the background, you may hear Kelly. She is running all of the controls for us. I'd like you guys, if you don't mind, to introduce yourself and tell us what type of diabetes you have and a little bit about your journey. Let's um, start with Tom. Good morning, Tom. Well, good afternoon, I guess it is now, right? Um, Afternoon, yeah. Well, depending um, on where you're listening. (laughs) Right. That's true. That's true. Um, Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, My name is Tom Tobin. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed at... uh, third grade 1973 and um was coming off a bad flu and my doctors think that uh my immune system attacked not only the virus but um attacked the beta cells in my pancreas uh which are the ones that produce insulin unfortunately so not quite overnight but pretty close to overnight i became a type 1 diabetic at pretty much a blink of an eye um just jump ahead just to give you a bit more background on me in 1985 um I began experiencing changes in my vision, had no idea what was going on. I was diagnosed with severe proliferative diabetic retinopathy, which is a fancy schmancy medical term for um, uh, abnormal blood vessels on the back of the eye. So we began a very aggressive laser treatment campaign, which slowed it down, but it didn't stop it. And at one point in the game, um, my retina is detached, not at the same time, thankfully, but that basically threw me into blindness. But through two surgeries in each eye, um, I was able to uh, get some vision back for about a couple months. But the retinopathy was just so aggressive. My ophthalmologist said he'd never seen anything so bad before in his lifetime. His lifetime. So um, eventually, I, the retina detached again, and that was pretty much the ball game for me. Um, I went through blindness rehab at the Cleveland Sight Center. I was able to go back to Kenyon College and finish my degree. And fast forwarding to today, um, I was on an insulin pump for 23 years, uh, which I loved, um, but unfortunately it started to get scar tissue built up in my abdomen, so I had to go off it. So now I'm successfully using insulin pens, uh, both Lantus for the basal insulin and Humalog for fast acting. And I'm also using the Libre Continuous Glucose glucose monitoring system um, to help manage my blood sugar readings and uh, the Prodigy uh, voice as my backup blood glucose monitor. So that's a little bit about me, Anthony. So thanks for letting me introduce it myself. Thank you. And I definitely want to get back into some of that um, terminology and technology a little bit later on. So we also have Randy Knapp. Randy, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little Uh, bit about your journey this morning, everyone, and thank you. Um, honored to be here. Uh, I um, have been a diabetic uh, for about 26 years. I started out as a type 2 diabetic and in the beginning was able to treat it through diet and medications. 
However, eventually my pancreas um, reached a point where it just couldn't produce insulin at, at the rate that I needed. So uh, I have now been diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic and I'm on insulin and I use an insulin pump. Um, this had nothing, however, to do with my blindness. I was um, blind since birth from a condition known as retinopathy prematurity, which is essentially uh, destruction of the uh, vessels in the eye due to uh, the oxygen that I received as a premature uh, birth in an incubator. So, uh, like Tom, uh, I have I started out on uh, pills, graduated to insulin pens um, with Humalog and um and a long-acting insulin and then um recently uh in the last eight years i've been using an insulin pump and uh to to control the uh my diabetes and i would also um am using uh will be using a sensor called dexcom which is another company's version of a sensor that allows you to take um readings on the fly with your phone uh and that's exciting technology for me and um have found that um there is also uh the use of the prodigy voice um meter which i use as a backup uh we've come a long way in terms of things that we can do however we still have some distance to cover which we'll be discussing later today. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the theme. So this is the opening live, and this will end up being podcasted, but this is the opening live of a 10-part series at the American Council of the Blind in uh, partnership with Diabetics in Action, as well as the advocacy team, and I'm going to introduce Clark in a moment, of ACB. Basically, we're raising awareness in all fronts. Get up, get moving exercise, healthy eating, healthy living, healthy behaviors, how to advocate for yourself in your in your medical team, how to advocate for yourself for services or products that you need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Clark, thank you so much for joining us. And can you tell us what, um, what brought you to this opening podcast and the actions that we're looking at right now with ACP? Thank you so much, Anthony. And Tom and Randy, thank you for sharing your stories with us today. Um, hello, everyone on YouTube Live, as well as out there in ACB Radio Land. Uh, my name is Clark Rockfall. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And unlike our uh, guests and many ACB members, as well as folks in the broader blindness community, um, I'm fortunate I do not have diabetes. But in my role as Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, I hear on a regular basis the impact that this disease has on the lives of our members. Uh, and Anthony, this is something that, you know, it, like you just mentioned, get up and get moving. That's easier said than done, right? Uh, we're living Especially in a world that is not, yeah. you know, the world was not designed for people who are blind, for people with vision loss to freely and independently get up and get moving. Um, so that's my connection to 
this event to our members. And as part of National Diabetes Awareness Month, we are bringing awareness, not only that diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of blindness for adults in the United States, uh, but also that it's not always so easy to say, get up and get moving for someone with vision loss to go to the gym and exercise, or even navigate the streets in their local environment freely and independently, or use durable medical equipment uh, mm -hmm. independently and privately. Thank you, Clark. Well so, said, Clark. Very well said. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned earlier, this is the, the opening of a 10-part series. You're, we're going to hear from endocrinologists. We're going to hear from diabetic educators. We're going to hear from nutritionists. Clark is going to bring us some really exciting information about get up and get moving in the various ways that we can really get out there. And that opens up for all of the community. We all really do need to get up and get moving, whether we're diabetic or not. Um, we are going to hear a couple of personal stories. You've heard a little bit from Tom now, but he's going to join us again in the podcast series and in an open community call on Wednesday, the 18th. Um, I don't have a time for you at the moment, but you will see it on all the lists and all the, you know, all of the outreach that we do. Um, and, and a few other things as far as the podcast is concerned. So look for our special series. And um, the next episode that you'll see is Jeff Bishop, who most ACB, most, most ACB members know Jeff pretty well. Um, he went very in-depth with his personal journey, weight loss, managing, um, talked about what it was like to understand his, you know, his diagnosis and how to deal with it. Um, so that's the next podcast that you're going to see. And it was a fascinating and very in-depth, very personal conversation. So I want to thank him. Uh, we were supposed to have Chris Gray on from Diabetics in Action. But um, as some of you may know, there's some different different weather challenges around the country. <laughs> Myself, I'm uh, actually still in a hotel room in, hotel, in Orlando yeah. <laughs> instead of uh, in my home office in Miami because there's a hurricane blowing through. So Chris may or may not join us along the way, but I want to go back to Tom and Randy, if you would please. A lot of people, their perception and their um, their interaction with diabetes um, started with Marlo Thomas and the commercials, and maybe they know somebody who had to prick their finger. And you know, a lot of us don't really know what the difference between type one and type two is, the various ways of monitoring and 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 maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So could Tom, could you start by telling us the difference between type one and type two? Sure. And sure. I think you're referring to Mary Tyler Moore, Anthony. Uh, she was a type one diabetic. So yeah, very simply, and Randy can jump in and add if it, type 1 diabetes, which was formerly known as, as juvenile diabetes, so people understand that that terminology is no more. I actually looked it up over the weekend, and Ann Williams, a co-friend of mine, gave me the nod that uh, the, the, three, the types of diabetes we have there are type 1, which is insulin-dependent, type 2, which is non-insulin-dependent, gestational diabetes for women who are pregnant, and pre-diabetes. Those are the four different types of categories. But type 1 diabetes, which is how I'm defined, um, 
as I said in my earlier introduction, um, when I was in third grade, uh, came off a bad flu, and my immune system destroyed the, the beta cells in my pancreas, and those are the things that produce insulin. So I became immediately type 1, which means if I don't take insulin, I'll die. It's as simple as that. Um, and... Um, you know, type 2 is a very different animal, uh, as many of you listening may know. Uh, diabetes in this country is at epidemic levels, and type 2 is typically uh, where you see a lot of people these days. Um, and basically, it, it, type 2 diabetes is where your pancreas still produces some insulin, but either you're uh, insulin resistant, meaning the insulin can't be used properly by your body, or you're not producing enough insulin to to cover, you know, the food you eat and the things you drink and those types of things. So there are a lot of people out there walking around with type 2 diabetes and not even knowing that they have it. And it isn't really until they get a blood test that their doctor can tell them that your blood sugars are abnormally elevated. A normal blood sugar is between 80 and 120. Uh, so if you're up up in the hundreds on 180 and above, then you're getting pretty close to being diagnosed as a, a diabetic, type 2 diabetic. So... Um, so generally speaking, type 1, I have to take insulin or I die. Type 2 means that there is some insulin still being produced by the person's pancreas, but either not enough or it's not being properly used um, in the body. And a big number one red flag factor for this is obesity. And we all know obesity yeah. is huge in this country. So um, so that's, those, that's the difference. I don't know if Randy has anything to add, but those are the differences that, I, that I'm aware of. I think you covered uh, everything quite well, Tom. Great. And if my research, um, you know, bodes me well, pre-diabetic is is a condition at this point where you know your your insulin production is fluctuating, and with healthy attitude, behavioral, and eating adjustments, you can stave off going into type two diabetes. Is that correct? That is correct. And gestational, of course, happens during pregnancy, and sometimes it has nothing to do whatsoever with anything other than the pregnancy itself, and sometimes also healthy behaviors and modifications can keep, can save that off as well. Um, right. So, as I mentioned earlier, you know, some people, the only thing that they, you know, their only um, interaction or knowledge of diabetes is that you prick your finger and you put a strip and, and you test could you um could you walk us through for for you both you Randy uh Tom uh, excuse me Tom and Randy can you walk us through what testing and monitoring and maintaining looks like for you Randy you want to go first sure um for most of us uh monitoring our blood sugars is is kind of as regular as uh eating a meal because uh, when we get up in the morning, kind of want to know where our sugar is before we do start to eat so that we can um, decide <clears throat> how many carbs we're going to eat for that given meal. And we also need to know so that um, we can take enough insulin to cover for what food we're digesting. So most of us, many of us, will measure our blood four times a day uh, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner and at bedtime. And um, the downside to having to do it that much is that if you do it for years and years and years and you're um, finding places on your finger and 
to do the pricking to get the blood onto the strip. Uh, it can sometimes um, make your hands sore. <laughs> if, if it's cold outside and your hands are cold, and you don't get enough blood in your finger. Getting enough blood out of your hand can be a religious experience. Um, <laughs> and uh, so there are there are challenges to to doing this. And sometimes when you're in a hurry because you really would prefer to do anything but this, uh, it's annoying. However, it's it's necessary and it's it's really a responsible thing to to do if you want to have a quality life and you want to uh, be able to remain in control and failure to do this um, can actually cause uh, complications of diabetes to occur uh, which are numerous and many of them undesirable it can affect your heart it can affect blood circulation uh, it can affect uh, your sense of touch and feel through neuropathy. There are lots of things that can happen. Oh, and I guess including death. So therefore, <laughs> uh, we really kind of want to avoid that if at all possible, obviously. And so um, doing this type of maintenance is very, very important um, so that you can make responsible decisions about your diet, the amount of insulin, if you're taking insulin that you're going to um, be doing or reporting to your doctor uh, if you're not on insulin about uh, what your blood readings are so that uh, they can make medication adjustments or they can do other things to try to help you out. So I want to ask, what, what is the testing process for you now and how far has it come from when you first had to start testing ah, that, that that's a great question because uh both tom and i are currently using the libre link sensors which allows me simply now to grab my phone wave it at a sensor that's on my arm uh we feel a vibration in the phone and then uh, we can consult our phone to see what our blood sugar is which is not the conditions that I just described earlier about poking your hand typically with a meter. It is a walk in the park doing that. And it when when you have that option available to you, um, it makes that whole process so much more accessible and tolerable. And you can do it anywhere. There's no, um, you know, you can do it in a restaurant and no one's really going to know what you're doing or why you're doing it. And uh, the fact that this whole process is an accessible process because of the apps used on your phone with um, either voiceover or um, talkback, depending on whether you're an Android or an Apple user, these things really um, have changed the landscapes in terms of how we go about uh, doing things. Um, however, I still keep my meter. And I will use it on occasion to check against the readings I'm getting from the sensor to make certain that uh, that the readings are what we call within calibration, that we're, we're not getting something that is so skewed that we're, we're being given false information and then uh, we make bad decisions because the information wasn't accurate. Hey, Anthony. 
I just wanted to interject real quick. We have one question. Uh, It says, what is the hardest challenge to manage? Oh, good question. So hard as what, Kelly? The hardest? The hardest challenge to manage. Well, I'll take that one, Randy, if you don't mind. Um, I I think you would agree with what I'm going to say. So I think uh, I would describe that managing diabetes on a daily basis, frankly, whether you're blind or not, perhaps more... Uh, difficult when you're blind is a day-to-day battle. Um, you know, as Randy indicated, you know, making sure your blood sugar stay within a certain range so you can make proper uh, assessments on how much insulin to take if you're if you are taking insulin. Uh, even if you're not, um, you need to check your blood sugars to see if you're in a normal range or not. Um, and it's it is you know it is you know as Randy indicated, you did a great comparison there. We talked about finger sticks versus. Um, continuous glucose monitors, which have made our lives that much easier for sure. And I would add to what Randy said that um, because it has made our lives so much easier and it's not a painful experience to do it, that people often will check their blood sugars throughout the day more regularly, which is a good thing. Um, Because then you can see cause and effect on, you know, how much insulin you've taken when you've had lunch, where your blood sugars are running up at four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, So it's, it really does help uh, all diabetics, but in the case of Randy and myself, blind and visually impaired diabetics take better care of themselves. But make no mistake, guys, um, it is it is a Aunt Randy and I've talked about this a lot. It is it is a day to day need uh, to maintain vigilance, discipline, and perseverance because, as Randy indicated. Any day that your blood sugars are out of control is another day that you could possibly be heading towards complications, as all the things that Randy mentioned, from vision loss, heart disease, kidney failure, uh, amputation, uh, neuropathy, and, of course, as he said, death. Um, so that's my honest answer. And I think if you're going to do it justice and stay on top of it, um, you're going to have to do all the things that Randy talked about to keep your blood sugars in a normal range uh, and I, I guess I would say that not to sound so gloom and doom, but the flip side of that, and Randy intimated this too, is the fact that if you do it well, you feel better, you can do things you want to do, like go for a walk or go for a run or whatever, um, and you're just leading a healthier lifestyle. Um, so to me, and I think you would agree, Randy, that the the, the, the reward versus the, 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 the challenge that we face every day is, is very well worth it. Some days, you know, we all have our days, but I personally believe that, you know, if I stay vigilant on managing my diabetes, my health is good, stays good, I feel better, quality of my life is improved. And so it's a good thing, but it does take work. And some of it too is, 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 is really about understanding that there perhaps are certain places that uh, at least for me, I try not to go because if I start heading down that road, I keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. an example of this, sir, is milkshakes, um, <laughs> yes. which are incredibly carb um, intense. Mm-hmm. And they they don't taste any less good just because you're a diabetic. So you still want them. <laughs> but yeah. you know you better not have them because they, they really can can can. Uh, up the ante in terms of how you're going to control it and 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 all of that and so I, I have found and I think Tom has found that we're not good 100 percent of the time you know I if I claim that you guys should have my head exam 
that would not be true. <laughs> I'd, I'd call you on it. You would, and I'd call you as well, sir. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is, is that we are good enough of the time. And we make good decisions, even if there's a situation where we may decide to eat something that isn't exactly prescribed on the recommended foods list on the from the American Diabetes Association. If we if we don't make a routine of doing this all the time, but we do it on an occasional basis, then we're kind of working an occasional treat into the overall pattern of how you live your life. And if we can keep those things within balance and within reason, then, you know, you know, we won't necessarily always walk away from a brownie or like on Saturday when I was with my family, um, we have this recipe called pink stuff and it's cranberry and marshmallow and banana and pineapple. I had a couple tablespoons. Okay. It wasn't a huge portion, but I didn't feel like I was being penalized because they got it and I didn't. Uh And it was enough that I could still manage it with uh, proper dosing of insulin. And I did not have a reaction from it because I was sensible. And those are the kinds of things that we learn to do, um, you know, in terms of how we manage it on a day-to-day basis. I would, yeah, I would just add anything real quick too, that I think the management of diabetes has come a long way, thank God. And so when I was, when I was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, I was told you can't have this, you can't have that, you can't do this. It's not that way anymore. Um, with the better tools we have to deliver, uh, you know, to read a blood sugar and then deliver insulin, we do have more flexibility. And as Rena and I've talked about, I look at, you know, the the measuring of your blood sugar as the barometer. The barometer will tell you, okay, Tom, it's okay to, you know, have a little snack or a little something that you don't normally eat. Yeah. Right, right. But um, as Randy pointed out quite accurately, you don't make it a regular deal. Um, because even with a well-managed diabetes, diabetic, type 1 meat, you know, um, we have a running joke that if I want to eat it, you just quote unquote pump it up, which means take more insulin. Well, that's not a good uh, protocol either because not only is it not going to keep my blood sugar under control, but if I do that long enough, I'm going to start packing the pounds on like there's no tomorrow. And that mm-hmm. is the kiss of death as well. So yeah. I just wanted to add that to the mix. It's, it's, um, it, it does give us a little more flexibility than it did when I was a young, young kid, but um, you know, you still have to watch it. And things can turn on a dime and things can spiral into certain situations. This is this is a an opening. We're wetting the appetite for those 10 podcasts that we're going to talk about. There are, are many threads along this that we're going to touch on, especially with the endocrinologist and the diabetic, um, the diabetic nutritionist, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to touch back though on the question that was asked because it was something that I wanted to talk about in this live event. How, you know, how difficult being blind, how difficult is it to stay in management? And has that changed as far as the get up, get moving, the healthy, the healthy living uh, day to day? How has that changed with COVID? Yeah, I, 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 Rand, you can respond to this too, but I, I would just say that um, 
we all know by definition blindness can be very isolating whether you're a diabetic or not frankly um, exactly. as a result it means you can become very sedentary which means it's easy to pack on the pounds which is not good for anybody and does you know lead to type 2 diabetes at some point um, but I think I have to speak for myself that um, I'm blessed in the fact that I do have a sighted wife and we are able uh, to go on walks around our neighborhood, but, you know, I always have a mask around my face. So if someone comes, I can put it on. Um, but I will say, you know, because diabetes type one or type two, I don't care either one, it's a chronic disease and it compromises our immune systems, which makes us that much more vulnerable to the virus. So, um, I will just say this, that, you know, I don't venture too far from my home. I do most of my work from home. Thankfully, I don't have to, I don't have to get on public transportation to travel anywhere. And I worry about people that do, but, um, COVID has, you know, it's impacted our lives in such negative ways. I mean, again, you talk about having vigilance and managing disease. We all have to have vigilance and making sure we do the right things to follow protocols, right? Wear a mask, mm -hmm. social distance. Um, if we're going to get this bad boy under control, which right now we're not doing a very good job at, apparently. So, you know, COVID has, you know, to use vernacular, is a total buzzkill. I mean, it really has cramped everybody's life. We all want to go out to restaurants. We all want to go out and see each other, right, and socialize and go to parties. But at least for this cowboy, I'm not doing that. Um, so, Randy, maybe you want to comment on that, too. Uh, I'm not either. And uh, I have a seeing-eye dog named Ian who uh, accompanies me on my day-to-day -day travel. But it, part of the reason that I have him is, in fact, so that we can walk uh circuits i walking is a significant part of my exercise routine and that has been impacted a, a bit because of of covid uh, i get nervous because i can't um be certain that i am uh, distant from people that we may encounter on a route um ian is a very friendly dog and so a lot of dog lovers want to go up and pet him and, which <laughs> Yep. You know, and he doesn't mind a bit, and that that is also an issue. So one of the ways that I've compensated, I have an exercise bike at home, and I'll get on that bike and I'll I'll pedal for a while. And so while I don't enjoy it as much as I do walking, it still is better than than doing nothing. Uh, um, and uh, so I I think if 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 people have access to uh, exercise bikes or treadmills or things that uh, will help them just get their heart rate up a bit, uh, that, that certainly can help. And I would encourage anybody, diabetic or no, to uh, get up and get moving, keep, keep themselves going. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. Because that, you know, it prolongs life and it makes you feel better. One of the things we're going to tackle, you know, in the subsequent podcast is the access to what you just said, exercise bikes, to medical care, to available shopping, to get what you need for your specific needs. And this is, this is across the board for everyone, a little bit more for blind and a little bit more, the layer gets thicker and thicker for blind diabetics. 
And so some communities are, and we've heard this across the board in a lot of different conditions. We've heard this across the board in a lot of different access conversations. Some community, some communities are strongly adversely affected in all of those areas and can't, can't receive what they need in the ways that they need them or the ways that they were once accustomed or used to because of COVID. And more importantly, because the responses were not, I would say, even close to what we had hoped. Um, and, you know, hopefully things are going to change soon. Um, but we are going to touch on those topics in subsequent podcasts. But I want to ask you, since these are your personal stories, have you worried about your medical access? Have you worried about, you know, is this really going to adversely affect me along the way? If things get worse, am I going to have, you know, episodes or et cetera, et cetera? Randy, if you want to take it first. Yeah, I'll take it first. But uh, Tom, I certainly hope you tell your story as well, because you have one to tell. Um, I, I am concerned overall about uh, medical access. The first endocrinologist that I had was absolutely convinced that I couldn't use a pump. And so she- Because you are blind? To describe an insulin pump. An insulin pump is a device that um, connects, attaches to your body that allows you to uh, put in amounts of insulin that you need per meal. It also- meters out a certain amount of insulin per hour as a way of maintaining proper blood sugar levels. We call that basal rate. Um, so she did not want to um, um, <clears throat> prescribe a pump uh, for me to do those things. Uh, fortunately for me, through um, through my contact with Tom and some intervention, I got a hold of a, some doctors that uh, felt differently about the process, and we were able to. Um, get a pump involved, but I, I, I would strongly encourage people to be proactive about um, making certain that uh, the doctor, in fact, works with you and not against you. The other thing I will say is that there is a whole issue now about pump interfaces and how accessible they are, and um, this is something that absolutely needs our attention because uh, Pumps made by manufacturers up until recently had a degree of accessibility because they had buttons and you could you could count button presses even though they didn't speak. It wasn't ideal, but we could sort of manage. But now with non-speaking touchscreens, uh, these pumps get much more difficult to use. And so we really want to see some of the technology implemented in pumps that are implemented in our cell phones. Uh, which allow us to have very good access to touch screen technology. So um, this is an ongoing push that all of us uh, want to try to make. Um, Tom, I'm going to send it to you. Okay, thank you. Well, I would I would just add on. I don't know how far down this accessibility road we want to go today, Anthony. But um, clearly, the the dynamic is this: um, if people are going to I'm sighted or blind, frankly, are going to be able to best manage their disease. They have to have tools to do it. I mean, when I was first diagnosed in 73, 
there were no tools. You took your shot of insulin, you hoped for the best. Um, as I said in my intro, it wasn't until 1983 that the first, you know, in-home personal glucose meter came on the market. Um, and, you know, these devices have come a long, long way over the years. But if, if pharma is going to follow the protocol that prevention, you know, is much more important, uh, cost-effective, um, all those good things, then, then, um, dealing with all the complications that Randy and I um, talked about earlier, uh, they're going to have to come to the table and make the devices fully accessible to everybody, which means integrating what's called universal design. Very much what you see in, in smartphones, iOS, Talkback, Android, you name it. Um, and that is something I know that Clark and Claire and all of us are working very hard on. Um, but I wanted to answer your question, Anthony, in a little bit of a different way, because I, I think I, I interpreted what you asked, uh, other than accessibility and equipment and access to that stuff. Um, now, yeah, I was asking in a broader spectrum, but I'm glad you actually touched on this because it is a topic that we're going to be covering in one of the yeah. in one of the podcasts in the community call. Yes, I'm going to so ask Clark when we're finished to to update us where we are with certain things. Yeah. But please, so, so give let us me a just, broader perspective. Yeah, just, I just wanted to say that this personally, so because of COVID, and we've all had to change the way we behave because of COVID, so mm -hmm. this, these are some of the things that I've had to do, which um, are not ideal, but it's the best thing I can do right now as far as not even just managing my general well-being and health, but managing my diabetes. So, um, as Randy pointed out, tight blood sugar control is very important in managing one's diabetes. Well, the only way you can make sure you're doing that is to go into a lab and have blood drawn and, and have a, what's called an A1C. That gives you a three-month right. average of what your blood sugar is. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know about Randy, but I wasn't, I'm not comfortable going to a lab right now, even if I had an N95 mask, because um, I just, I, it's just, again, it's another layer of possible exposure. So I haven't done it. So what I have done, though, and another nice feature of the Libre, and the Dexcom has it too, is I have had two televisits with my endocrinologist, and I sent her via email the, you know, the um, readings. Yeah, the report in, a, yeah, in electronic format so that she could look at my blood sugar, look at the averages. Um, the Libre will give you, you know, all these different readings, um, how, how often you're you know, time and target kind of things, all the things that are really important to managing the disease. Uh, now, while that's not as as good as getting my blood drawn and having them do an A1C, it's the next best thing. Um, because if things were wildly out of control, you'd be able to tell from those readings that, you know, I needed to adjust my, my management of my disease. So that's one thing on managing my diabetes. Now, um, I also was supposed to go in for a physical. Um, and I'm not about to go. This is this is early in COVID time, so March, April. Um, but I was had no intention of going into the Cleveland Clinic, which many of our listeners may know is a very well respected hospital throughout the world. Um, because again, I wasn't willing to put myself um, in harm's way, even, even given all the protocols and everything else. I mean, um, that that they have in place in the hospital. But the thing, the rub for me, guys, is that. You know, somebody in the hospital could have it, not know it, and transmit it without even knowing it. And that is, to me, the biggest fear and why I am, you know, in a Her Herculean way 
trying to make sure, you know, I, I keep myself safe and basically away from other people. Um, so that, that those are the way that COVID's impacted my ability to actually really manage all of my health, not just my diabetes. And it's, thank God we have telehealth, but that's not the same thing as putting a stethoscope to my heart and listening to it. Um, you know, as I said, being able to read my reports from my Libre is great, but it's not nearly as good as taking blood and seeing what my A1C is. Um, so it has definitely negatively impacted, you know, my overall health care. Um, I don't think it's my health care, I should say. I don't think it's negatively impacted my health. I think I'm still living a pretty healthy life, but um, it has definitely put a barrier in, in the way of yeah. me going to see my doctors and doing the things that I would normally do, not just to keep my diabetes under control, but just my general health. So, And these are just two topics. You know, there yeah. is the get up. There's the get up and get moving, which, you know, you both have spoke about walking, but then there's access to proper nutrition. There's access to information and medical visits. Like you just said, all of these things we're going to discuss in, in the various podcasts that are to come, that are to come. Um, we're also going to be talking in depth about get up and get moving for diabetics, but also for our community in general. And Clark, I want um, I want to first ask you if you can talk a little bit about get up and get moving, and what you're going to bring when we speak to you to the podcasts for hey our podcast. Yes, I just wanted to interject real quick. Um, Chris Gray from uh, ACB Diabetics in Action just hopped in, so he is oh, in here. Great. If you guys want to ask him any questions, sorry to interrupt. Welcome, Chris. Well, thank you. I had to fight my way through some internet excitement this morning, but but I'm so delighted <laughs> <laughs> and so happy to be able to <clears throat> represent ACB Diabetics in Action. We're an interest group of the American Council of the Blind, and we do what we can to help one another. I myself am a type 2 diabetic. I became one, or knew I was one anyway, in, uh, gosh, 2003. And I'm, I'm doing well, still doing just oral medication. But uh, <clears throat> there's a there's a lot to be said for people supporting one another on email lists, uh, with community calls, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And we try and provide that kind of activity for people. And it's especially important for people who are newly diagnosed because you have so many questions. But you know what? It's pretty good for all of us sometimes, too. And friends and family as well, correct? You better believe it. You better believe it, yes. So, you know what? Um, Why don't we take a moment? Can you please let the listeners know, or the watchers, (laughs) know where they can find (laughs) Diabetics in Action and how they can become part of the action of Diabetics in Action? Well, (laughs) we we have an email list, which anyone is welcome to join. And you can join that list by sending an email to ACB hyphen diabetics hyphen subscribe at acblists.org and uh, we'll we'll get you set up to talk to other people any other people to become a member uh well one of the best ways easiest quickest ways to become a member would be to write me an email and i'll get you set up um my email is chris c-h-r-i-s at q G premium P R E M I U M dot com. Chris at QGpremium.com. Our membership is just ten dollars a year. So it's not expensive. 
Uh, we want people to join and to be involved and to help us fight for the kind of accessible equipment that uh, Randy was talking about, that Tom has talked about. Uh, we need numbers to do that. We need your help Sorry. to do that. And uh, so please consider joining us. It will be $10 you won't regret, and yeah. you'll make an awful lot of friends in the process. And a tremendous amount of support. So yes. let me throw it to Clark, please. Clark, can you give us a little preview of some of the Get Up, Get Moving? And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of that action that um, ACB and Diabetics in Action are is taking. Clark? Absolutely. Thanks, Anthony, and thanks for this conversation. Uh, so get up and get moving. Well, Tom and Randy already touched on the importance for people with diabetes to be active, whether that's walking, using exercise and fitness equipment. But as I stated earlier, the world isn't always designed or set up in a way to make that as easy as possible. Uh, and that's where ACB comes in. And that's where the ACB's advocacy team comes in. So whether that's ensuring there's accessible intersections and pedestrian signals in your neighborhood so that you can navigate your surroundings freely and independently to get those steps in, to get out there and get moving. Uh, that's some of the work that we do with our transportation and environmental access committees. Additionally, like Randy with his exercise bike and many other folks out there with ellipticals, treadmills, uh, recumbent bikes, stair steppers, you name it. It's always a challenge to try to find one that'll work for any consumer, one that a consumer wants to use. Throwing on the added level of, is this equipment accessible? Is it a touch screen or a flat screen? Are there tactile markers or raised buttons? Um, am I going to spend thousands of dollars on this piece of equipment or a gym membership, but then be limited to only one feature or knowing how to start and stop it, but not having access to, again, as Randy and Tom mentioned, the important part, all the data from my workout. So mm -hmm. the ACB Information Access Committee and our partners, we've been having those conversations with exercise and fitness manufacturers, encouraging them to incorporate universal design, uh, accessible screen readers, as well as uh, smart technology so that you can connect to a watch, a phone, and save that de data and have it with you and be able to reference it later. So get up and, and get it, moving. Go ahead, Anthony. I was just going to say, and it goes so much further than that. You're all, we're also involved with the National Park Service and various mm -hmm. cities to identify safe and um, accessible areas, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And the ACB Audio Description Project has been doing great work with, in partnership with the University of Hawaii on the uni description, providing accessible park materials for the national park system. I think about it, a, a large open outdoor area, you know, in, uh, especially in the, in the west or southwest of the country where the whole attraction to that park is the big hole in the middle of it, AKA the Grand Canyon, <laughs> you know, you want to know where you are on trails. You want to know yes. uh, information about your surroundings. So how can ACB work with our partners 
in the park service as well as technology companies to ensure that folks have accurate navigational information, information that can also be used in urban settings, as well as just general interest information because the parks are there for everyone. And we want to make them as inviting a place as possible. So we're going to be hearing get up, get moving for a long time to come. It's it's one of uh, ACB's imperatives. But we've also been talking about and talking through durable medical equipment for a long time in various capacities. But as it pertains to diabetes, Clark, can you give us a short update on where we are and what we're working with and about right now? Sure. So as Tom and Randy were mentioning, um, there are various tips and tricks for using uh, testing and management tools for their diabetes. there has been some progress made, uh, but that progress is not uniform and it's not universally designed across the board. Um, So for example, when using a continuous glucose monitor, you may have access to just basic information if you also have a smartphone and it's compatible with your screen reader. But due to many socioeconomic barriers, We know that that's not true for many Americans, especially Americans who are lower income or, frankly, uh, can't justify the the cost or the use case of having a smartphone. What what do they do? Uh, Because accessibility is not built into these products from the beginning. So how can we work with manufacturers to bring this to their attention? Uh, How can we work with Congress and Food and Drug Administration and Departments of Health and Human Services, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to ensure that accessibility is not just a nice to have, but a requirement so that all Americans have equal access to life-saving technology and resources. Thank you, Clark. So this has been, you know, a a live event to wet your to whet your appetite, to introduce you to the podcast series. We're going to go much more in depth to so many of these topics. I can't wait to have our conversation, Clark, because I know I'm going to learn some stuff and I'm not diabetic, but I need to get up and get moving. I've packed on some pounds and I'm not living as healthy as I once did or as, as I want to live now. So this is not just for diabetics in action. This is not just for nearly diabetic. This is for everyone, friends, family, and allies, and everyone who needs and wants to support the initiatives that ACB has taken on for years. Diabetics in Action has taken on for years. I want to give each of you an opportunity to leave us with some final thoughts or let us know which of the which of the 10 podcasts you're most you're most looking forward to. However, you want to close it out. And we'll go backwards. Clark, what do you want to leave us with? Can you hear me now, Anthony? Yep. We can, yes. Great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm optimistic about the the progress that is being made and the spotlight that uh, and the focus that COVID has brought to healthcare access. Um, so I think that that's really exciting. We're you know, there's a lot of attention being not even scattered, but even like just distilled and almost like light shining through a magnifying glass, Uh, just laser-like focus on the need to ensure that all Americans have access 
to healthcare, to resources, to information, to technology that they need to be successful and live independent lives. Randy? I'm looking, I, I, I feel optimistic about um, that we're making progress with the medical profession, doctors, nurses, um, even uh, medical students that are being supervised by doctors. I, I, um, the last time I went and saw my endocrinologist, he had a student with him and he said, I want you to talk to him about your experience with doctors. <laughs> and so, and that's well, one of the podcasts. That's one yep. of the podcast topics we're going to touch on. Uh-huh. Sorry, go ahead. And uh, so, so what I thought was going to be a half an hour visit turned into an hour and, uh, it, it was really terrific. And um, my endocrinologist, along with Tom's endocrinologist and a lot of other endocrinologists are all now in, enthusiastically, enthusiastically endorsing um, access to durable medical equipment, particularly insulin pumps. And to have their support and for them to say, well, of course you can do this. We have the expectation that you will do this. Uh-huh. That's so much different than, well, no, you're, uh, obviously you, you're blind, so therefore you must have a cognitive impairment, and you can't do that. Well, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> Chris, how about you, sir? Is that me you said? Yeah, I couldn't. There you go. Yes, you're back. Yep. Yes. Great. Thank you. Well, I'm excited about all the podcasts, frankly. <clears throat> of course, the community one's going to be especially fun to get people on there and interact with each other. Yeah. But no, I really take my hat off to this whole group of people who put together the list. I think it's a phenomenal list. And I think ACB and uh, ACB Diabetics in Action have really never tried something this ambitious before. <clears throat> I think it's going to make a big difference in the community. It's going to be a tool that we can use to approach healthcare professionals. And let's face it, the manufacturers of this equipment, because they're the people who really, in the end, can make something happen. So it's an exciting first step. Uh, I plan to be here for many of them. And uh, I know all the rest of you will too. And I just want to thank everybody. for your part in in making this happen. Thank you. Kelly, before I throw it to Tom, can you just, while he's speaking, take a sweep and see if we have any comments or questions that need to be addressed before we close out? Right now, no comments or questions. Okay. Tom, how how about you? Some final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I gosh, the three of them all nailed it in my mind, Anthony. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm extremely optimistic as well, Um, and I would I would echo what Randy said about the healthcare. uh, You know, people getting behind our whatever you want to call it movement advocacy. Um, You know, my doctor in particular, you know, said, "Look, Tom, this is my job. Um, This is I need to support you and get you know help you get the tools you need." Because at the end of the day, it's in her best interest to make sure I can use the best practices to manage my diabetes. Um, so I'm really excited to, to work with ACB National. Of course, Chris's outfit, uh, Diabetics in Action, is a great group of people I'm really you know, getting to know better. Um, but I, I will just, from a personal standpoint, I would just say this to our, our viewers that um, 
you know, it's it's a really important issue that we uh, we get farmer to comply, and um, it really is a life or death situation for many of these things. Um, we don't have proper access to the tools we need to better manage, in this case, our diabetes. It's going to definitely have a negative impact on our ability to control the disease and our life expectancies and quality of life, frankly. So I've, I've uh, um, committed to Chris and to Eric Bridges, ACB's executive director, to do everything in my power to um, see this thing through and keep the fight and, um, you know, get the tools that we need to uh, live fully independent and happy, healthy lives. Healthy so. lives. And these three, these three guys have put their money where their mouth is. They've involved their endocrinologists who have signed on to letters, who have put together some education for us, who will be on some of the podcasts, who will be, some of them maybe on the community call, et cetera, et cetera. The three of these guys have put in a lot of effort and a lot of work. You know, I personally have always loved Yoda's. <laughs> there is no such thing as try. And I think that's what ACB at the moment is, is that's the attitude and the, um, what we're adopting. We're not trying, we're going to do. And the t these 10 podcasts is the beginning of that. You're going to be hearing a lot about get up and get moving. You're going to be hearing a lot about where we are going as far as diabetic concerns are his concerns. I want to thank, of course, Tom, Randy, Chris, Kelly in the background for all that you do. And it is so much. I want to thank Tony Stevens, who inspired this kind of all to put together into a package. Eric Bridges, of course, Dan Spoon, everybody out there who's listening and everybody who is watching. Thank you so much for taking your time. We'll be around. You are listening to the ACB Media Network.